thank you so much for the way that you've been encouraging me and my family with your worship this morning. Thank you for coming and sharing that here with us at East Brainerd. If, uh, if you are here, not on your own choosing, but on the choosing of the state of Florida and Hurricane Irma, we welcome you. We are sorry that you have had to go through this displacement and whatever assistance we are able to offer you, we stand ready to, to do so. If you were here passing through because uh, it's the weekend and you thought, hey, I've always wanted to visit Chattanooga, I've heard it's a, a great place to hang out and the weather is beautiful, thank you for, for interrupting a period of vacation to come and, and to worship. And we hope that the time that we spend here together is, is a time of refreshment for you so that not only the sights and sounds of Chattanooga are something that perhaps uplift you and, and give you strength for the week's journey, but also the time that we are here in worship serves an even greater purpose to that as well. And for those of you who are part of the East Brainerd family, welcome back. Great to see you. I know that last week there were a lot of people who were traveling because of the Labor Day weekend, and we're so grateful that you were back and in place and able to be here and to to be a part of this. Uh, what I hope today is going to be a very peace-filled time. I appreciate so much the thoughts that uh, David shared while we were enjoying a time of communion and that idea that when the brook dries up, the, the oil begins to flow. hope that's something that you'll take with you this week and, and hold tight. And the songs that we have been singing that Derek has chosen where it's so sweet to trust in Jesus and asking that we feel the presence of God surrounding us. The time that we are here today, we do hope it is a time of, of peace for you, no matter what storm, literal or figurative, that you might, you might be facing. In that context, I want to I want to make a statement that at first glance might sound very presumptuous of me. Intended evil in God's hand becomes eventual good. I didn't come up with that. I wish I could have. I'd love to be able to stand up here and say that because of the time that I have spent over the last 20 years in ministry, that this is the conclusion that I have come to. But I got to be honest, I got it from a dude named Joseph. And he lived so long ago, I mean, Johnny Robertson wasn't even born yet. And, and here is what he said when, when faced with the opportunity to look the people of evil straight in the eye, his own kin, his brothers who had thrown him in a pit, who had sold him off to strangers, who had claimed that he had been killed, he's had this opportunity to see them face to face, eye to eye. Years have passed. They don't know they're in his presence. He sees them, realizes the opportunity that he has. And in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20, he says this, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. And the words that he used there that, that we translate into our language, intended, it, it's a word that, that was used to talk about things that are woven together. 
That there is this weaving process that's taking place. And he says, listen, brothers, you wove harm, but God wove good. You intended to, to weave for me a life that was going to be painful and a life that was going to be filled with all kinds of anxiety and pressure, a life that eventually you would hope would be snuffed out, but God would take that very life and he would begin to weave together something that was beautiful, something that would come to this time and place so that I would be able to save the lives of many people. You read through the story of Joseph in your New Testament and you expect, you, you almost anticipate, you know it's going to happen somewhere on the pages that you're going to read about how that he curses God, he gets so fed up, he gets so angry with the things that take place, cast away by his brothers, sold into slavery, accused of a crime that he did not commit, left to languish in, in prison, overlooked and forgotten. And you expect that it's going to happen. Somewhere in the pages, you're going to see where finally Joseph acts just like you do. Joseph responds just like I do. With passion and pain. And the questions begin to arise. And the doubt begins to show on the pages. Except you keep turning and it never happens. And you're not necessarily given a reason as why this is the case, except for the fact that over and over in the story of Joseph, you find this idea. You read where it says, the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph in the pit. The Lord was with Joseph on the auction block. The Lord was with Joseph in the strange land, in the strange place. The Lord was with Joseph in prison. The Lord was with Joseph every single stage. Over and over again, this picture begins to put itself out for everybody to read. And you begin to start to understand and go, maybe the reason that Joseph responded the way that he did is because he understood that he was not alone. And so that's my question for us today. Do you believe that the Lord is with you? Do you believe that the Lord is with you? That's my question to the Josephs that are among us. And there are many. We have those who are here this morning who are trying to climb up out of the pit. We have those who are with us who have just been thrown into it. We have those who are with us this morning who feel as if they can't speak the language of the crisis that they are currently living with and experiencing. And the question for all the Josephs is, do you believe that the Lord is with you? Listen to Psalm 139 in verse 7. Where can I go away from your spirit? Where can I run from you? This was a question that King David would ask as he's thinking about the presence of God. He would say, the heavens, the grave, if I rise with the sun in the east and settle in the west beyond the sea, even there your hand will guide me. If Joseph was paraphrasing this account, he could say, where can I get away from your spirit? If I go to the bottom of the pit, you are there. If I go stand on the slave auction block, you are there. If I'm in the home of a foreigner, even there your hand will guide me. 
What does it sound like when you place this verse into your circumstance? Where can I go to get away from your spirit? If I go to the rehab clinic, you are there. If I visit the ICU, you're there. If I go to the shelter at some church miles from home, you are there. If I'm in the county jail, you're there. Even there, your hand will guide me. To all the Josephs out there this morning, I want you to hear this message. You will never go where God is not. You'll never go where God is not. He is not far from each and every one of us. People have been asking over the last few weeks, where is God in the midst of Harvey, in the midst of Irma, in the midst of the earthquake in Mexico? Where, where, is, where has God been in, in the midst of this? And, and I was reminded of the presence of God this morning when I, when I read about there was a group of people in Valdosta, Georgia that knew that there was going to be all kinds of chaos on the highway with people coming out of Florida into Georgia. They had heard about the gas shortages and how people were running out of fuel on the highways and there wasn't a lot of money. So they got their, their cookers together. And they went and just started cooking and making hot dogs, just grilling out hot dogs. And they put up signs there on the interstate of Valdosta, free food for evacuees. And they said in just a few hours' time, they had given out some 2,000 hot dogs. Say, where was God? He was on the side of the road in Valdosta giving out hot dogs. You saw the pictures from Hurricane Harvey, how that there was this armada, this flotilla that began to show up in Houston where if you had any type of floating device, please bring it. And there were men and women who were on the water going through the streets of Houston, going and, and taking people from their homes, taking pets, taking supplies, putting them in these rafts, and they were taking them to safety. You say, where was God? He was in a boat in Houston. He will never, you will never go where God is not. And so because of that, I want, you to, I want you to pursue the presence of God in a, way that, in a way that Moses once did. As he looked at the different, as he looked at the different expectations that he was going to have, he's got to take care of some two million ex-slaves. He's a, he's a liberator and a leader, and he's wondering, how am I going to be able to manage all of these people and provide for them? How am I going to defend them? How are they going to be able to survive? And I want you to listen to what he says to the Lord. Exodus 33 and verse 15. He says, if your presence does not go with us, then do not bring us up from here. See, Moses preferred to go nowhere with God than to go anywhere without him. And so to the Josephs in the room, make your presence, or make God's presence, your passion. Make the presence of God your passion, where you say, you know what, Lord, if you're not going with me, then I'm not going. 
This is how I'm going to live my life. And I'm going to understand that God is always surrounding me. That God is always present. Whether the sun is shining or the wind is blowing, that the presence of God is here in my life. You say, well, how do you do this? Well, maybe it's by becoming more sponge and, and less rock. I have up here just a, a plain bucket of water and and here's a rock, and I'm going to put it in. The rock is fully submerged in the water. It's covered by the water. And if left over time, it will continue to be submerged unless the water evaporates. The rock will just sit there with, with the water covering it and with the water rushing all around it. And, and, and I can pick it up. And I can get it out of the water, and, and you can see how it's shiny, and you can see how that the water is on the outside, but, but the water has not been able to penetrate the rock. It doesn't matter how long that I leave the rock there, it, it will always be the same. The water will be on the outside. It will be surrounded by the water, but the water will not penetrate it. And then I've got this little sponge. Nice little ladybug. I'm going to put it in the water. Right here next to the rock. Well, it keeps floating up. Why is, let me, look at that. Why? Just keep, do you know why it's floating up, by the way? See, unlike the rock, it is not immune to the presence of the water. Instead, it actually... fills itself with the water. And because it fills itself with the water, it is able then to, to rise up to the top and to float where the rock sinks. If you make God's presence your passion, then you've got to learn to act more sponge-like than rock-like. Some of you, when surrounded by the presence of God and you see the different evils and difficulties and crises that come in your life, you become very hardened. You become very stiff to God's presence around you. You become very angry. You become very erratic in the way of your thinking and the way of your actions. Wondering, well, where is God and why can't He act and, and why isn't He present? And probably you've seen this before in your own life. You run from God and, and you blame God and, and you resist God. But I want you to be careful because the rock that is just surrounded here in the water, that those rocks of your heart that are surrounded by the presence of God never heal. Because they never allow the presence of God to fill them. Not so the sponge. The sponge soaks it all up. The sponge says, I don't want to go any place unless you're going to be with me, Lord. The sponge says, I, I don't know what's going to happen in the future, but I know that you're already in the future, God. And so therefore, I'm going to be there confident knowing that all is well because I am filled with you. Hard hearts never heal. 
but spongy ones do. And so I want to all the Josephs in the room to open every pore of your soul to the presence of God. I also want you to, I want you to trust in the nearness of God. Trust in the fact, as it says in Hebrews, that he will never leave you nor forsake you. The Greek passage here has five negatives. And if you're an English teacher, you're going to hate listening to this, all right? It actually could be translated, I will not not leave thee, neither will I not not forsake thee. You got that? Otherwise known as, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. But I love that Greek because it, it gets across that point so vividly where God says, not, not, not. What are you trying to tell me, Lord? I am not going to leave you. And how, how often can I tell you I'm not going to do it? I'm not going to do it. I'm not, 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 not going to do it. You hold on and you trust this promise. Zephaniah 3 and verse 17, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love and he will rejoice over you with singing. But let's be honest, there are some times where even though we are surrounded by the presence of God, we sense as if God is not with us. It happened to a man in scripture named Job. He said, but if I go to the east, he is not there. If I go to the west, I do not find him. When he is at work in the north, I do not see him. When he turns to the south, I catch no glimpse of him. David earlier has said, Lord, where can I go from your presence? And he says, I can't go anywhere. And Job says, I'm looking and I can't see you. I'm looking in the Florida Keys and I can't see you. I'm looking over Cuba. I don't see you, Lord. Where are you? But here's what he says. But he knows the way that I take. And I will come forth as gold. Don't equate the presence of God with a good mood or a pleasant temperament. God is near you whether you're happy or not. And sometimes you just have to take your feelings out behind the woodshed and have a good talking with them. They say, feelings, listen to me. God will never not, 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 not be with you. Now get in line. Psalm 56 and verse 3, when I am afraid, I will trust in you. Psalm 42 and verse 5, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. Trust in the nearness of God. And for all the Josephs in the room, I want to encourage you. I want you to cling to his character. Just start looking through and remembering passages of Scripture. And begin to write them down to remind yourself of who God is and how he does not change. Maybe this could be a list you would have. He is still sovereign and he knows my name. Angels respond to his call. The hearts of rulers still yield at his bidding. The death of Jesus still saves souls. The spirit of God still indwells saints. Heaven is still only heartbeats away. The grave is still only temporary housing. God is still faithful. He is not caught off guard. He uses everything for his glory and my ultimate good. He uses tragedy to accomplish his will. And his will is right, holy, and perfect. 
Sorrow may come with the night, but joy comes with the morning. God bears fruit in the midst of all affliction. Or as the old hymn says, when all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. God's character never changes. And the same guy that saw Joseph through the pit and the prison is the same guy that sees you through Irma and Harvey and the ICU and the divorce court and whatever it else is that you might want to put on that list. Because he's the same. I got a message last week from someone who they said they were not able to be here and watched online. And they talked about how that the timing for this particular message series was so important to them because just last week they had received a diagnosis that they had a genetic condition they didn't even know about. One that they had had all the way since birth, not realizing, fearing perhaps it might be because of other individuals who were in the family. They'd never been tested until last week. And the test results had come back positive. It's something that can be treated, but it's something that is going to change in a lot of ways the, just the condition of life. And she sends me the message and says, that she was so down and so concerned about what was going on. And, and then she, she turned on to watch the worship and she heard the songs and she heard the message from God. She said, that was just what I needed at that moment to remind myself that, that I could get through this. You say, how does things like that happen? And, and, and maybe things like that have happened to you, to you before. And, and you left maybe last week saying, you know, that message was just what I needed at just the right time. Isn't it amazing how that God never changes? And, and, and that the character of God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And that the way in which God works is that he supplies what we need when we need it. And so to the Josephs who are here this morning looking for an answer to all of the chaos, cling and hold to the character of God. Just a couple more things and we'll close. I want to encourage you to pray out your pain. If you're someone who is here this morning and, and you were truly in a storm, then pray out your pain. As one author says, pound the table, march up and down the lawn, because it's time for tenacious and honest prayers. If you're angry at God, let Him know. If you're ticked off, let it be heard. Let Him know about what is going on in your life. Jeremiah did. Jeremiah, in a writing that we call Lamentations, pours this out to God. He says, He has led me into darkness, shutting out all the light. He has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. He has made my skin and flesh grow old. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and surrounded me with anguish and distress. He has buried me in a dark place like those who are long dead. He's saying this about the Lord. He says, he has walled me in and I cannot escape. 
He has bound me in heavy chains. And though I cry and shout, he has shut out my prayers. He has blocked my way with a high stone wall. He has made my road crooked. How in the world does that get in the Bible? How does it get there that a man of God, a prophet of God, would cry out in that way? Could it be that it's there to convince you and to convince me that we need to follow Jeremiah's example? That we need to go ahead and file our grievance before the heavenly court. Psalm 142 and verse 2 says, I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. It is better to shake a fist at God than to turn your back on him. Here's what Augustine said. How deep in the deep are those who do not cry out of the deep. That sounds a lot like that not, not, not problem. Right? How deep in the deep are those who do not cry out of the deep? And so he goes through here in Lamentations, putting out his grievance. And then he will end by saying, the Lord is good to those who depend on him. To those who search for him. So pray out your pain. Let it be known. God's a big boy. He can take it. The words that you want to shout, let it out. They might seem hollow and empty at first, and maybe you'll just mumble your sentences and fumble through your thoughts, but don't quit and don't hide. And then finally this morning, for all of you Josephs out there, I want to encourage you to lean on God's people. Don't try to escape to the Himalayas or to some deserted island. Don't go and be a hermit somewhere. Because God has comforted his people so that they could comfort others when we experience the troubles of life. I love the story that is told again of Moses. The Israelites are going into battle and he is drawing up the strategy. He commissions Joshua to go and to be the leader of the fight. And Moses instead... He stays back. He doesn't go down to the valley. He ascends instead onto a hillside to pray. But he doesn't go alone. He takes two of his lieutenants. He takes Aaron and her, and they go and stand beside, one on either side, and they lift up the arms of their leader. And the Israelites prevailed. The story says that the Israelites prevailed in battle as long as the hands of Moses were raised in prayer. And when his arms came down, the Israelites began to lose. And can you see Aaron and her on both sides? Propping him up. Keeping the arms raised. As the battle rages in the valley below. The Israelites were victorious. Because Moses prayed. But Moses. Prevailed. Because he had others. Who prayed with him. And so here's what I want to do. I want to offer you. The opportunity. To have others pray with you. Maybe you are in the valley this morning. 
Maybe you are in the storm. Maybe you're running from the storm. Maybe you're the one who got the diagnosis. Maybe you're the one who it appears as if all evil is coming down on you. I want to offer you the opportunity to have the people of God rally around you and pray with you. See, oftentimes when we come together as a church family, we end this particular part of the worship by having what is traditionally called an invitation. And we invite people to come and to be baptized into Christ. We invite people to come to confess their faith in Christ. We invite people to come to confess sin and, and throw themselves onto the forgiveness of God. It's also a time where we invite people to come who are just going through difficulties and to, to let those things be known. And periodically we'll have individuals who come and do that. And, and one or two of our shepherds will, will listen to to the request that they have and, and oftentimes then convey it to the rest of the body and then we'll have a prayer. And, and we're going to do something similar to that here, but we're going to change it just a little bit. And here's what I want to do. If you would just like to be surrounded by the people of God this morning and have people come and stand beside you in prayer, you don't have to tell anybody what's going on in your life. You don't have to tell anybody about what you're dealing with and what your current valley or storm or pit or prison is, all you need to do is, while we're singing, is just to walk down and stand here in the front. And men and women of the family of God will come and they will stand beside you. And they'll hold your arms up. And they'll put an arm around you. And they'll give you a hug. And you'll know that what was intended for evil, God weaves for good. And so husband and wife, father, mother, students, each Irma, evacuee, whoever you are, while we sing, why don't you come? And lean on the people of God. For you will never be anywhere where God is not. Let's stand and come.